Freedom Hut. RNC night one, America is great. Night two of riots in Wisconsin. Jerry Seinfeld's case for a big NYC comeback. And the Wall Street Journal says lockdowns are blunt and costly. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. Great to have you here. I did watch the RNC last night, so I can tell you this. It was much better uh, produced than I think many, including myself, many anticipated. It was much more compelling than certainly what we saw last week, just from, from a messaging standpoint, from a how well executed was this whole thing. Uh, the Republicans perhaps learned some lessons from watching the debacle of the Democrat convention, the virtual convention last week. But I've got to tell you, I, I thought last night really did put in to a, a, a clear choice in front of the American people, a, a choice that anybody should be able to make clearly and easily going forward. Um, it's really not it's really not all that complicated when you think it through. Um, and it's the RNC versus DNC simplified. The RNC is your option to vote for the America is awesome party. Not that America is perfect, but America is awesome. It's a great country with great people. And our future is going to be very strong if we make the obvious choice of putting people in charge who also love this country. The DNC gives you the option of voting for the America sucks, but socialism will make it almost tolerable, probably still racist, though, party. That's your choice. That's your choice. A little bit more socialism, still going to be racist, of course, but a little bit more socialism, and maybe America won't be awful. That's what the Democrats want you to know, because they're, they're upset at the country for voting for Donald Trump. They think we need to be punished. In fact, I believe that many of the people in prominent positions in the Democrat Party who watch the rioting, who watch the continued mayhem in Wisconsin and, and in other places, right? They, they try not to cover too much the BLM protest that then turns into something else, right? This is what we're always told. The, the way that they use language is, is fascinating, isn't it? A second day of peaceful protests gave way to clashes overnight in Wisconsin. Gave way? What, what, what does that mean? What do you mean gave way to? No, it led to. It led to. If I am walking around with a torch in my hands, setting fires, I am not giving way to arson of that building. I am leading up to it gave way this construction of a passive voice i know it seems minor folks but it's not minor at all this is how propaganda works this is how they try to help the left evade the democrat party the dnc evade accountability for what is being done in its name uh, and there was even more of this the new york times peaceful marches in kenosha wisconsin 
against the police shooting of a black man gave way to fires and destruction. The first one I read to you was CBS. This one is New York Times. Gave way. Why? Why the passive voice? This is interesting, isn't it? It's not that someone stabbed someone. It's that the knife, after a dispute, the knife went into a person's back, right? Takes away human agency. It takes away culpability. That's why they describe these things as they do. We'll get more into these continued uh, protests and the the insanity behind it in a little bit. But I I wanted to start with what I thought was the the highlights uh, from last night. And the single most compelling speaker, and I, I give the uh, the RNC credit for setting it up the way they did, the single most memorable person to take the podium last night, in my opinion, of course, people are entitled to their own view of these things, was uh, Senator Tim Scott. Play clip two. He suffered the indignity of being forced out of school as a third grader to pick cotton. And he never learned to read or write. Yet he lived long enough to see his grandson become the first African-American to be elected to both the United States House and the United States Senate in the history of this country. Our family went from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. And that's why I believe the next American century can be better than the last. There are millions of families just like mine all across this nation, full of potential, seeking to live the American dream. And I'm here tonight to tell you that supporting the Republican ticket gives you the best chance of making that dream a reality. Senator Tim Scott's words, I think, really hit home for a lot of people. And I think that it was uh, particularly meaningful the way that he worked in his, his own family story as part of the narrative of America becoming a better country, America fulfilling the promise of the founders and the Constitution, which took a long time and a lot of a lot of fights, a lot of blood, a lot of tears, a lot of treasure, a lot of everything this country had to give to put us in a place where uh, Senator Tim Scott can stand up before the American people and stand up before millions of viewers at the RNC and tell the, the, the tale of his own family and what they were able to accomplish. And there's a very clear uh, difference in not just vision of the past, but how the past influences the future of this country between Democrats and Republicans. Tim Scott looks at what used to be and where we are now and says, look at how magnificent our progress has been. Democrats look at the past and say, look at how awful we were. The only people that can be in charge today are those who recognize how terrible we were in the past and are constantly reminding this country of its own awfulness. There's a great irony here in that the so-called progressives are always negating the progress of this nation in order to get more power. They claim that we haven't made the strides we have on equality, not equity, on equality for women, on equality for African-Americans, on equality for Native Americans, on equality for all peoples, uh, for the LGBT community. All of these areas that we talk about, and you see what this country is today, how well we do get along as a nation, 
and how much better we would get along if it were not for the identity politics obsessed uh, hucksters, frauds, con men of the Democrat Party. It's remarkable. And the DNC last week was all about telling you how terrible everything is under Donald Trump and failure of leadership, failure, failure, failure. It wasn't it wasn't a compelling pitch for why Joe Biden is going to be a a great leader for the country, because that's not really a possible pitch. We've already seen Democrats on multiple occasions given the opportunity to elevate Joe Biden to the highest office in the land. And they practically laughed in his face. Like, Come on, Joe, you, you really should be a guy, you know, who's selling used appliances in, you know, Delaware. <laughs> right. You really should be that guy. And somehow you've managed to just hang on as a senator from from Delaware for decades and decades. Uh, you know, it, it's so often true in life, folks, that. You don't have to be the best. You don't even have to be the first. You just have to be the longest serving, you know, be the longest in the role. And all of a sudden, you know, it's true in a lot of things. It's true in media. It's true in politics. Just be around long enough and eventually people will act like you're really good at something. Uh, But this is this is certainly the case with Joe Biden and with the vision of the country the Democrats laid out last week versus the vision that we have this week underway right now the creation of this narrative from the republican party you know if you watch this last night there there, look there were one or two speeches and i won't you know i don't feel the need to uh, single them out don't want to be negative i'm sure you all i don't know i am and this wasn't one of the two that i thought were ineffective i thought nikki haley's speech was good i'm not as i'm not as uh enthusiastic about Nikki Haley for 2024 as some other folks who are listening to this, which is fine, which is fine. I'm I I have my I have reservations. But look, I had questions about Trump when he was running in 2015 and I was wrong. So maybe I'm wrong about Nikki Haley, Uh, though I doubt it. But anyway, I I could be I, I could be wrong. There were a couple of speeches that I thought fell a little bit flat. But more importantly, there was a speech that was one of those that, at least for me, other, I mean, Tim Scott's was the single most the single most powerful because Tim Scott is also a national level political figure, and there's a lot about him that is just just admirable and and impressive. Uh, but Maximo Alvarez, who fled communist Cuba, his speech last night was, for me, in many ways the the, the most powerful. Um, he was somebody who has well. Many of our finest Americans, in my opinion, are those like Maximo Alvarez, who have fled communism and came here to America to embrace the freedom, opportunity and promise of this country with open arms. And there are few who love liberty as much as those who have had it taken away somewhere else and fought to restore it by getting to our shores. And then once here, they defend it fiercely. One of my dear friends and, and advisors uh, and, and, and mentors uh, fled communist Cuba. And to this day, I, I believe that if you gave him a rifle and told him to to storm the shores at the Bay of Pigs, he'd want to give it another shot. Uh, some of some of the most freedom loving, patriotic people I've ever met fled the Khmer Rouge for America, fled Castro's Cuba, fled from behind the Iron Curtain of the Soviet Union. They come here, and for them, it's not rhetorical. 
they have experienced hell in a sense and now are living, if not in heaven, the closest thing the world has to it for those who believe that being in, in control of your own destiny is so essential that you, you can't really live a full life without the freedom to choose. So I thought Maximo Alvarez's speech last night, he, he struck a chord with me. It was it was emotional. And I wasn't expecting that at all. I wasn't expecting to be watching the RNC and see somebody who was uh, speaking about love for this country, but also the threat that this country faces. Can you imagine being Mr. Alvarez, being in this country and then seeing the rise of socialism and seeing this left wing Marxist movement, not just of BLM, but the mar- the, the cultural Marxism that has overtaken our news media and academia and now even infiltrated the HR and equity departments, you know, human equity departments of corporate America. And to see that somehow there are people in this country, a lot of them, and yes, they are Democrats, they are Biden voters who have not learned these very painful lessons of history, who don't seem to understand that the reason communism fails every time it is tried is because it makes fundamental incorrect assumptions about human nature, about morality, and about society. It's not that it isn't well-practiced in some places at some times, it's that it is fundamentally wrong. Maximo Alvarez understands that, and I thought that if, if there was one speech other than Tim Scott's that I'd remember from last night, it was his. But ultimately, all you had to do was tune in for a little bit, and you saw an RNC talking about promises made, promises kept, about a Trump administration that is really trying to provide results for the American people. No one's giving Donald Trump a Nobel Peace Peace Prize just just for being Trump, right? The news media has done everything they can, not just to stand in the way of his policies, but to tear down his administration, to help in the actual sabotage and prosecution, if they could, of his administration. And yet when you look at the results on deregulation, energy policy, jobs creation, trade deals, standing up to China, there are a whole range of areas. Yes, not a complete wall, but a few hundred miles of wall and a total shift in our conversation about immigration away from amnesty. There are a number of areas you'd have to say the president has delivered critical areas, ones that have made the country more prosperous more free. And on this law and order issue, I think the Democrats may be the authors of their own of their own electoral demise. We shall see. I certainly hope that's the case. We'll be talking more about what's going on in in Kenosha today. But I I I sit here and I I can't imagine uh, that there is anybody who understands American politics who could have sat around in May as part of the Biden campaign strategy and thought, You know what would really go well for us right now if our entire political apparatus, if the the Democrat establishment, never mind the emotionally and mentally unstable community organizers and activist class, if the Democrat establishment thought it was a good idea to to, to be cheerleaders for arson, vandalism, looting, rioting and assaults on police. If Trump and the Republicans can't win When the Democrats are taking that position, I'm just going to say it. They don't deserve to win. 
But I'm feeling pretty good about things right now. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. When you compare the message of what's coming this week to what we saw in Delaware last week, how do you see it differing? I think the choice in this election is clear. The American people are going to see a great contrast. You have President Trump who said that we're we're not going to shut this economy down again. And to hear Joe Biden actually talking about shutting down our country again just shows how out of step he is with the progress that we've all made as a country. I know Joe Biden last week said the democracy is on the ballot. Well, President Trump and I believe that the economy is on the ballot, the future of this country is on the ballot, law and order is on the ballot, and we're going to take that case to the American people. Think about how the vice president here, Pence, who we're very appreciative that he joined us last week himself to tell us about everything. Think about how Pence lines all of this up, discussing actual policies, what's on the ballot, versus what he notes the Democrats say, democracy itself is on the ballot. That's a claim that if there is not a tra- if there is not a, a transfer of power from Trump and the Republican Party to the Democrats, that there won't be elections. Right. That there's a, there's an implied threat with a democracy it, itself. Democracy is a process. So how is democracy on the ballot? Oh, only if your claim, which is what the Democrats are claiming, only if the claim is that if the Democrat Party does not win, there will not be a democratic process anymore to elect people to higher office in this republic because we are not in a pure democracy as we know. We are a republic, but it is a dem- democratic form of electing or it is a, uh, under a democratic foundation, right? The people elect their representatives. Well, really, the people vote for electors who elect their representatives, but let's not get to deep into the weeds on that. I think that this is an important distinction. They're creating false narratives. Democrats are coming up with things that are not reality-based to mobilize their voters and to get engagement from registered Democrats all across the country. The post office conspiracy nonsense and the democracy is on the ballot. They're making it sound existential for our system which is a lie. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Is that fair? Is what I'm telling you fair about the Democrats and how they claim that the future of our system of government itself is at stake if, if they do not win? Because I, I make a, a somewhat of a, of a counter claim to that, that Democrats plan to use their power to dramatically alter the demographics and the voting population of this country, notably through amnesty, so that the Republican Party will become something of of an intellectual curiosity, a relic of another time in American politics, but not one with any real punch, certainly not one with any real political power or authority. And so with that, then, I would ask you all, hold on a second. How is there a difference? What is the difference between these two? Well, you see, the Democrats, I'm not saying, are going to uh, hijack the system if they lose. Right. They're not going to hijack the system. They're just seeking to undermine it. (laughs) They're seeking to make it so people don't believe in it. But it seems the Democrat premise 
is that Republicans won't even respect the electoral process, whatever it is, that they're effectively claiming Republicans will have a coup. That's different from saying that the other side will use its power to destroy, politically destroy America and to destroy the Republican Party. No, they're just saying that it might as well be Trump telling tanks to circle around the White House. I'm not leaving. That's what Democrats claim about Republicans, which is completely nuts. And if you think that this rhetoric that I'm using is in any way exaggerated or I know, you know, it's not. But that's a good way to tee up our our uh, little comment here from Nancy Pelosi. The most remember, I'm not pulling from random commentators on MSNBC for this. You know, people who are desperate for attention or some kind of a paycheck. Here is the ultra establishment, very, very wealthy Uh, ruthless and conniving third most powerful person in the federal government, Nancy Pelosi, who refers to Republicans as enemies of the state. Play clip one. We take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and our honoring our Constitution uh, are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue with their allies in the Congress of the United States. But again, let's just get out there uh, and mobilize, organize uh, and not uh, let the president deter anybody uh, from voting. And again, Support the postal system, which is election election central. They're doing everything they can. Suppress the vote uh, uh, with your actions. Scare people, intimidate by saying law enforcement will be there. Uh, uh, Diminish the role of of the postal system in all of this. It's really actually shameful. Enemies of the state. Enemies of the state. And so Nancy Pelosi refers to her Republican colleagues here. And she singles out the Congress, enemies of the state. That's very, very uh, strong language. Aren't we all supposed to cry and, and gnash our teeth and rend our garments and, and prostrate ourselves in agony out on the streets because Trump refers to the media as the enemy of the people? I think increasingly it's quite clear that the media... Overall, obviously not everyone, and I'm in the media, so there's clearly limitations to this in my own opinion. But generally speaking, the news media are, in fact, the enemies of the people. They are working against our common interests. They're willing to pull us apart for their own amusement, their own virtue signaling, their own professional advancement. It's it's not quite clear which one they necessarily do the most of, but they all of those things are accurate. All those things are true. And this this post office theory they keep coming back to is just simply, simply bonkers. Uh, and they're not going to let it go. It, it doesn't matter if it's debunked. It doesn't matter if it's clear that it's not true. Um, it, it's very obvious to anyone paying attention that this is meant to serve a purpose. And the purpose is to make sure that if the Democrats were to lose this upcoming election, they would have a built-in excuse emotionally and politically. They would take, it's not just it makes them, you know, sleep better at night. To live in that delusion, it's also that they would then use this as a, uh, a means of political mobilization to take action against the Republicans 
based on the lie, based on the lie that the election was stolen from them. Trump tweeted out this morning, for our country to be sending 80 million unsolicited ballots is very unfair and a roadmap to disaster. Even recent small and easier to control elections, which did this, are a catastrophic disaster. Fraudulent and missing ballots like never seen before, 20 and 30 percent off, all caps, stop, exclamation point. Indeed, the president understands that all those ballots floating around there, even let's say for a second, let's let's take them at their word. Let's listen to what the Democrat point is here. Why would someone commit fraud? We know people do commit fraud in pretty much every major election and we catch very little of it. But let's just let's play along for a second. Even if under this scheme of mass mail in balloting, even if the the uh, the the reality was that not a single person intentionally, actively committed fraud, right, was was engaged in the process of committing fraud, understand that there is an enormous risk to the integrity of the election just because it's so obvious that one could commit fraud and get away with it. Right. So the perception of the possibility of fraud becomes its own undermining narrative. So after the election happens, you don't have to prove that anything was amiss. You just if you're a Democrat and you if you don't like the outcome. Right. Of course, if Biden wins, there was no fraud. Everything's perfect. Amazing. Democracy lives, you know, whatever. Uh, But if it's if Trump ends up winning, which I think Democrats are recognizing now is a real possibility. This is going to be very close, a very close election. Uh, If, in fact, Trump does win, they don't care whether they can prove there was fraud or not. It'll be so easy to turn around and say 80 million ballots sent out. We don't know who they look at all the dead people they were sent to look at all the people in different states that don't live in the state. They were sent the ballot and all that stuff. And then Democrats will just do what they always do. Come up with a story that makes them feel like they have right on their side. They are representative of what is really um, at the at the heart and soul of, of American democracy, that they're the ones who really understand. Uh, it's just, friends, it's stunning, isn't it? It's so obvious, too. And in case it wasn't obvious enough, you will recall there was a woman who was uh, rather prominent in American politics for a time, one who is planning to just haunt you for as long as she can to, to be out there appearing, giving her opinion, weighing in, no matter what we do, no matter no matter how clear it is that the American people do not want to hear from her anymore. Hello. She is still out there, folks. Hillary Clinton is a part of this whole saga And she wants the Democrat voters of America to know, well, here's what she says about the sanctity of our elections and how we should be treating all this play. So we've got to have a massive legal operation. I know the Biden campaign is working on that. We have to have poll workers. And I urge people who are able to uh, be a poll worker. We have to have our own uh, teams of people to counter the the force of intimidation that the Republicans and Trump are going to put outside polling places. 
Yeah, this is a big organizational challenge, but at least we know more about what they're going to do. And, you know, Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. And eventually, I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch. Let's let's be very clear about this. She said, you heard her, Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances. What this really means is Hillary Clinton is telling the Democrat voter, the Democrat base, the 40 percent of people who will vote Democrat no matter what. Doesn't matter if we found out that Joe Biden is actually, you know, a, a lizard king from the from the space planet Zargon or something. They would still think like well, Joe Biden, you know, he gets it done and they'd vote for him. They just don't care. But what Hillary is telling Democrat voters is no matter what you heard her, no matter what, Biden shouldn't, quote, not concede under any circumstances. They are planning a legal fight before it's clear that they would have any reasonable grounds to do so. This is lawfare as a backup plan to an election. That's what they are preparing. That's what they're doing. And they've already tried this before. Al Gore in 2000, lawfare in place of an election. And then in 2016, it was stealth prosecution via the deep state as a, remember, an insurance policy. As Peter Strzok memorably said, an insurance policy. That's what they were running against Trump in the in the event that he won. Ah, but then he did win. And now the insurance policy has begun to come apart. I've got to tell you, my prediction still about the Durham investigation looking pretty good. This prosecution of Klein Smith, this guy is going to get a slap on the wrist and nothing's really going to happen. Just telling you, I'm those of you because I people say, Buck, well, you've got to have the faith. You the, I have the faith, but I know the system, too. I know how the federal government works and and somehow the, the, the bureaucracy has an, an almost lethal allergy to true accountability bureaucracies hate that and so they will just by their nature by their culture by their functioning always find a means to sweep things under the rug and to move forward as long as their pay and prerogatives are protected nothing else matters that's that is the essence of especially federal but really any bureaucracy so don't expect the insurance policy of struck and page and clapper and comey and all the rest of them to end up with anyone getting clapped in irons, so to speak. Not going to happen. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Oh, it has been amazing to watch the difference in coverage already between the DNC when all the journals were, that was the most amazing Biden speech slash all the speeches like Bernie and all the speeches just made me cry. Versus the way they approach the the RNC, uh, this is this is a classic a, a classic New York Times headline: Election updates. Trump opens RNC with boasts on economy and attacks on Biden. If you actually were an honest person watching the RNC, you would come out and say uh, it was a, all about. It was really about American greatness. It was about this is a fantastic country. We're lucky to be here. We love this country. We want to make sure that it's as good for all of its citizens 
All the people here as it possibly can be. And there was just a spirit of, of optimism and promise in all of it. The Democrat, the Democrat convention was a lot of Trump has, has you know, killed everybody because, with COVID and is worse than Hitler and it's awful. And the only thing that will save us is Joe Biden. The only thing that will bring us together is Joe Biden. Now, we all we all understand the media is never going to give up this game, at least not, I, I don't think, in my lifetime, where the journos pretend that they have an objective perspective in there that is reflected in their reporting. Uh, but this is one of my favorites. Some of the some places, I think MSNBC was doing this um, and, and CNN as well. They fact check Republicans in real time for their audience. They fact check, but they don't do that with Democrats. Oh, because Bernie Sanders is so on the money all the time with the stuff that he says. You will create 20 bajillion new jobs by making money out of thin air slash taxing billionaires. Oh, okay. Those 20 bajillion jobs that you'll create in green energy by taking even more money from wealthy people. Okay, sure. That's going to work out really well. But here's a bro Cuomo, or as, uh, <laughs> as Tucker Carlson calls him, CNN's chief weightlifting correspondent. Uh, here he is on... On the fact check controversy, uh, play four. But that's politics, Don. You're running for this party. I'm demonizing this party. Uh, everything that's bad is your fault. Uh, everything that's not going well on my watch, you're either lying about or you're engineering somehow on the sneaky side. Uh, and again, well, who are people going to believe? We'll see who makes the better case. And, yeah, you can fact check it to death. We could fact check this convention all night. People yeah. who are saying you didn't fact check the Democrats, they are not lying the way Trump does. Yeah. Do politicians lie? Yes. Of course. Do both parties engage in it? Yes. I'll give you the full Gilfoyle. Yeah. But not like Donald Trump. Yeah. Nobody lies the way this man does, has and will that I've ever seen in politics. Yeah. So he's lying to you. He's Really? Uh, someone should ask if, if you like your health care plan, can you keep your health care plan? Oh, yeah. Now, th this is the this is the game that's always played. They skip to Trump lies, Trump lies. And that justifies improper behavior on the part of the journos covering him. OK, sure. We've we've shown our hand here. We're going to fact check one side and not the other. W why not fact check the other side and show how it's all truthful? Why not do that? Oh, because then they would have to have their their uh, their little fingers in the media on the fact checker button for all these Democrats. And people would realize, well, the Democrats are full of crap. There's a lot of stuff they say that's also just not true or that speculation. And the way fact checking is done in politics is always hilarious. They love to do this partially true. Uh, whenever a Republican says something that is true, but Democrats don't like as in factually accurate, but Democrats don't like it, they'll say, you know, partially true. Yes, the figure that he gave is accurate. But what that doesn't tell you is this other thing that I want to talk about now. That's not a fact check. That's an editorial. That's why PolitiFact and all these other sites are just such a joke. But it's the same thing they do with science. They're always so desperate to think that uh, that objective reality is on their side that they distort objective reality. They distort the definition of objective reality. What is a fact becomes a point of editorial, uh, editorial contention for liberals. 
because they don't like the facts that the other side uses. So they come up with, well, it's not really a fact if we don't like it. And the rest of us get dizzy and sit down and say, who are these lunatics? Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is projection? Well, if you're to do a quick search of it, and like all the journos now, all you need is Wikipedia, right? All the knowledge you could ever need is just Wikipedia, man. You do a quick search of it uh, for definitions online, you'd find out that, quote, psychological projection is a defense mechanism in which the human ego defends itself against unconscious impulses or qualities by denying their existence in themselves while attributing them to others. For example, a bully may project their own feelings of vulnerability onto the target, end quote. So projection is very useful in understanding a lot of different human interactions. You see in other people what you yourself are doing, and this is obviously quite quite damaging. This is not something that... uh, leads to happy and healthy outcomes for people. But if you're looking for some, wow, A-plus projection, Bernie Sanders, he's out there now, he's all saying, you gotta vote for Biden, cause it's Bernie's night, and the mood is right for socialism. Bernie's out there telling you, that you got to vote Biden. And part of it is that the big, bad, mean Republicans under Trump are going to uh, rig the election. Play 12. Now, I know that not everybody out there agrees with me. They don't agree with Joe Biden. They don't agree with Kamala Harris, and that's fine. But I would hope that the American people understand that millions of people have put their lives on the line and sometimes died and came home wounded to defend American democracy. And we now have a president who is behind in most of the polls. That doesn't mean to say that he can't win. I'm not saying that. He could win a fair election. But to say that now being behind in all the polls, the only way that he can lose is if the election is rigged is a major effort to undermine American democracy and the faith of the American people in their election system. This is an outrage. And it's an issue that has to be dealt with. I mean, Bernie's out there telling you that it's it's Trump and the Republicans who are undermining faith in the electoral system. Wait, hold on a second. Hillary's saying don't concede. I mean, she spoke at the at the DNC last week. Heard her husband, Bill. I mean, they're just like royalty still for Democrats. Nobody really knows why. I mean, why do you go listen to these people? I don't know. Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton looks like he really should stop trying to grab at ladies and maybe just grab at some ducks or pigeons when he's throwing them a little bit of breadcrumbs over by the pond with a blanket over his knees. I mean, Bill Clinton, why are we hearing from this guy? Hillary Clinton. I mean, this is just uh, Democrat boomers. I swear, Democrat boomers as as a species have done more to ruin America than any other group of people. It's just true. They love, they love their Clintons. I mean, they're just like, oh, those were the glory days back with Bill and Hillary. But Hillary's saying that Biden shouldn't concede under any circumstances on Election Day. And now they're going to turn around and say that it's Trump. It's Trump who's undermining this process. It's just crazy. I'm happy that Trump had some choice words for uh, for Senator Bernie Sanders. Play 14, please. And we have tremendous enthusiasm. I think we have record enthusiasm. We have a base. 
We have a base the likes of which nobody's seen, including these people. Wall Street Journal did a fantastic story this uh, this weekend, a fantastic cover story this weekend on this base. is an incredible base. Everybody here is going to vote. Everybody in our base. I mean, we have a tremendous base. They don't. They have no enthusiasm for their candidate because, frankly, Bernie Sanders, they have much more enthusiasm for him. But Bernie Sanders, excuse me, you know, again, he's the greatest loser I've ever seen. (laughs) This guy can lose and be so happy. (laughs) Hillary Clinton, I want to use nice language, so I don't want to use a certain word. It starts with the word S-C. I don't want to use it because they'll say he used foul language while in North Carolina. But so I won't do that. They won't. He won't do that. I actually, uh, I actually got to tell you, I think that that Trump is doing better with with being on message and and messaging discipline lately than than I've seen him in a long time. Because I think he realizes what the stakes are. I think he realizes what's really going on here. And he doesn't like losing. Unlike Bernie, Trump does not like losing. The prospect of losing makes him really upset. Trump you could say, is a winner. But we're not tired of winning. Remember that promise? We're not tired of winning. That's not the case. We're not there yet. We need at least this next victory. And I don't think, oh, after this election, if Trump wins, which, I don't, of course, now it's, I want to be optimistic but don't want to jinx it. But if we, if we do win this next election, it's not like everything turns into Nirvana, Shangri-La, and you know everything comes together all at once and it's wonderful no i mean we got all kinds of problems first of all the riots and we'll talk more about the blm situation coming up here but the rioting and the lunacy you're going to see from democrats think about how emotionally unstable they were after the first trump victory but at least they could tell themselves it was a sneak attack we didn't see it coming we didn't know what was happening But now the country will have gone through four years of Trump, a pandemic, a recession. And they could still a majority of the American people or a majority of American people, as seen through the election process, would want Donald Trump to have four more years. That's it's unthinkable to the libs, unthinkable that that could be the end result here. And I really mean they will. I will. I can tell you this. I, I, I will see libs crying in the streets in New York if Donald Trump wins outside of my home, in my building, where I live. I will see people in tears. I'm very I'm certain of it. Certain on social media, you'll see them shrieking and screaming. And there's going to have to be a lot of emotional cleanup for them. The president certainly knows this, which is why I think he enjoys so much poking at them now, because, look, Republicans, we, know, we might lose this one. We might lose this election. And then we're going to be in quite a fight for the future of this country. But if we lose, we dust ourselves off. We think about the midterms and we think about our lives. I mean, our day to day lives. And what can we do now? How can we try to mount an effective, uh, effective information campaign? How can we have a, a worthwhile opposition, ideological opposition to this new this new administration, assuming that there was a Biden victory? Democrats just plan to cry, say it was stolen. I mean, they really act like the kid that I'm sure you're all. There was always somebody in the first grade or in kindergarten who, when the game you were playing, they didn't win. They would accuse someone of cheating or they would start to cry or they would call for mommy. That's the Democrat Party now. They're always, always, always crying for mommy when they don't get their way. And this is this is just the 
the culture of the Democrat Party. There's never any sense of, okay, you know, maybe maybe backing Antifa and BLM, for example, maybe that's not appealing to Americans who just want to lead a nice life. Maybe enough sane, reasonable, hardworking Americans recognize the virtue signaling absurdity of those movements and how the Democrats that pretend to care so much about them don't care at all. And, the, you know, the, the most ardent BLM, the, you know, the most vocal BLM people that I've seen in all these mo- incredibly viral videos that go around are often uh, white college educated women, usually from like not such great colleges, but even some of the very good colleges, white college educated women who will scream all matter of horrific nonsense at cops and, and including African-American cops. That's really what the BLM movement is. No, no serious person can take this seriously as a set of political ideas. I mean, this is a this is a mass hysteria. This is really a, a, a mental illness that has spread throughout America at a time of tremendous duress because of the virus, but also because of the lockdowns, the lockdowns, which have made everything worse. And I think have made almost nothing better in terms of our survival uh, survival rates. But that's another thing that we'll return to. But Trump loves to poke these insane libs over all this stuff. He, he loves to just to goad them a little bit. He, he can't he can't help himself. Play 16. Four more years! Four more years! Now, if you want to really drive him crazy, you say 12 more years. Because we caught them doing some really bad things in 2016. Let's see what happens. We caught them doing some really bad things. Twelve more years. That'll really drive him nuts. The president understands who the opposition is. And one thing that I will hope, no matter what, no, no matter what comes up, uh, no matter what comes up in this election, and who ends up winning, and it could go either way. And I'm not going to claim the election was stolen just because. I'm not going to do what the libs I know will do if they lose. Which is just, you know, look, we lost in 2012. Barack Obama uh, absolutely crushed Mitt Romney. Okay, it wasn't close, and it was a a uh, a butt kicking. Um, it absolutely was. It was a butt kicking. And you know, we lost in 2008 when Obama, you know, crushed John McCain too. Although John, you know, John McCain was really representative of that old school Republican, that old school GOP establishment view. You know, to, to lose gracefully, you know, to be the guy who gets slapped around and then says to the guy who slapped him, you know, thank you so much for not completely, you know, for not throwing a closed fist at me. You know, that was really nice of you. That was the GOP approach before. But we didn't say that those elections were stolen. We didn't say that that wasn't a mainstream Republican or conservative talking point. I, I can guarantee you that will be if Trump wins. I can guarantee you that that will be the way they justify to themselves, because because otherwise they might have to look at some of what we've uh, some of what we've been talking about here, which is the Democrat Party has completely lost its mind. I mean, this is not a party of people that you can sit down and have a normal conversation with. And we're seeing this and they're just pretending it's not there. They're pretending that what we see Hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of people in Seattle, in San Francisco, in Portland, in Chicago, in New York. Name a city 
in Kenosha, Wisconsin now. Kenosha, not a place that people would have thought of as a hotbed of radicalism until very recently. The last week. Democrat plan with all that is to pretend that it's not happening or somehow not representative of a larger malady, a larger sickness from within the Democrat Party. That it can no longer control those elements, those identity politics, race obsessed elements within the Democrat Party who were useful to a point, but now seek supremacy from within the Democrat ranks and are directing where that party is going. Now, there's a little bit of a of a, you know, Dr. Frankenstein situation here with you know Antifa and BLM. They like these movements, but now they realize they can't stop these movements. And so what do they do? They ignore them. They pretend that they're not representative of something bigger from the Democrat ranks. But Americans can see and we understand. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Joe Biden and the Democratic Party have been overtaken by the radical left. Their agenda is higher taxes, socialized medicine. Open borders, abortion on demand, and cutting funding to the men and women who serve in law enforcement at every level. The radical left is absolutely calling the shots from the Democrat Party, which you can see just from what's going on in Kenosha. Some updates for you on that one. Uh, Look, Wisconsin is in play, too. This is a state that I, I think I think the president is looking looking pretty good to win. Not based on the polling, just a gut feeling. And I'm just going to go with my gut on that one. But I've got to also tell you that uh, we're seeing now additional video. Okay, a couple updates on the Jacob Blake case first. Then we can get into the radical left. Uh, The uh, Jacob Blake uh, is now paralyzed from the waist down. They're not sure if it's permanent. Remember, he was shot shot seven times. And they keep referring to him being shot in the back. And I think that's well, that is true. Right. That is factual. What is left out of that being shot in the back is that police were in contact with him, trying to pull him away from his car. And they weren't shooting him in the back because he was fleeing from them like far away and they just shot him. Uh, They shot him because he would not stop. And they were they were concerned. I'm sure this will come up in their defense. That they that he could reach for a weapon. If someone if you're holding somebody by a T-shirt that they're wearing from right behind and they're reaching into their car and could get a weapon, the speed with which they could turn and shoot you is if they if they're reasonably practiced and know that less than a second. Less than a second. Think about it yourself. Grab, turn, bang. There's a video that, that you can see that circulates often about this, where a guy who had two cops on him during a traffic stop managed to wrestle two cops off of him, run into his uh, driver's side of his car. It's a famous video that's been seen. uh, It's a really stark and grisly reminder to law enforcement about why they've got to be careful with this stuff. This guy throws two cops off him, runs. They both got weapons, runs to his car. The the, uh, the, uh, assailant here, the criminal, runs to his car. There's a police squad car behind it. It's on the side of a highway reaches into the car to grab a weapon. And unfortunately, the two cops are so panicked that one kind of runs into the other. They collide. And that gives the guy just enough time to get his gun. He shoots both the cops. So it went from two police 
putting this guy in cuffs in custody, everything is calm, to this guy has a gun in his hand shooting those two officers in a matter of seconds. Does anyone factor that into their thinking in the media about what happened here with Jacob Blake? Jacob Blake had outstanding warrants, including for sexual assault. Jacob Blake was a criminal, folks. Yes, that is a fact on the record. This guy was a wanted criminal with an outstanding warrant. And now there's additional video that shows that he cops were trying to wrestle with him on the ground and he wrestled away from police. Remember, no, no pressure holds, no choke holds. It's just a strength contest now between the cops and the criminal. Right. It's, it's a strength. The, the cops have all kinds of accountability and they're going to be held to account for every decision. The criminal, you know, all you need is a Soros prosecutor if the criminal buries a screwdriver in the cop's shoulder to get away. You know, the, the Soros backed D.A. can just say, oh, well, you know, he he panicked for a second. He's not a bad guy. This is what we're doing. We're creating an imbalance between law enforcement and the criminals in favor of the criminals. And we're, we're going to pay the consequences all throughout society. But so now Jacob Blake, uh, there was there's additional video shows him struggling with cops. This guy has been arrested numerous times before. Outstanding warrant for his arrest. And ultimately, you have to ask him questions here. Is it now going to be the policy you know, when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris talk about, you know, we need federal police uh, reform. and blah, Is it going to be the policy that if somebody can out wrestle a cop, they then have the right to go to their car. The cop has to assume there's no weapon in the car and the person just gets to drive away. Is that how law enforcement's going to go? That how, that's how this is supposed to work. At best, this guy thought that he could just leave cops with their while they're all they had their guns drawn on him because he had already wrestled them we're, we're always being forced to talk about this like it's just a random thing this guy just got shot in the back no reason no, no. lies lies he was a criminal resisting arrest refused commands they had their weapons drawn and the law enforcement officers were in fear for their lives that much seems very clear at this point but has that stopped any of the looting has that? No, of course not. Because the facts don't matter. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now the videos are circulating. The videos are circulating of BLM. They're going to call them protesters, but they're agitators. They're rioters. They are often criminals. Violent thugs attacking cops. They are out there doing what we have seen so many times in the past. Does anyone really believe that this movement, such as it is, advances the interests of any decent law-abiding American by attacking police? Someone should explain to me the morality. Someone should explain the moral calculation of why in Kenosha, Wisconsin, a black man is shot by cops who is resisting arrest and refusing to comply. And then a random mob of people that have nothing to do with that incident. They were not there. They do not know the person. They are. They just take it upon themselves to say, burn every car in an auto dealership or burn down a restaurant or a grocery store or loot a clothing store, or a sneaker store. Well, what's the moral calculation there? Why, why is it okay for innocent people to suffer 
based upon what people claim is a need for justice. How is that justice? And how will it help to achieve justice? Do they ever stop and try to answer the question? No, they're not. The question is not even posed. Democrats do what they've always done. They say it was mostly peaceful. Next question. There were there were peaceful protesters there. Let's just talk about that. Yeah. You know, uh, other than that, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Right. I mean. John Wilkes Booth was a mostly peaceful theater watcher until he wasn't. We all understand that this construct is deeply dishonest, right? We all understand that that these uh, that this transition from oh it was there was a peaceful protest and then flames erupted and then there was case no, there were people in the protest who know that their pre- at a minimum know that their presence is giving cover to other people who are going to show up and do this. If the Tea Party back in 2011 or 2010, if the Tea Party had been a transition point for mass looting and violence, I can assure you all you would have ever heard from the media is that the Tea Party is an insurgency against America trying to destroy this country. That's all you would have heard of the media. And we all know this. And the claim oh, it was a mostly peaceful Tea Party protest, would not, would not have in any way been acceptable as, as an explanation for this. Right? Now, what's, what's funny, of course, is that the Tea Party was entirely peaceful the whole time, all of it. Every, every rally, every gathering you saw the Tea Party, no violence, no destruction. You know? And not only that, they, they cleaned up after themselves. I remember, I remember when the Tea Parties were happening and you'd have thousands of people gathering and then it's like afterwards they were breaking people up into teams to clean up any any refuse left behind uh you know that's protesting or that's demonstration that's peaceful assembly don't uh, expect chief waitlisting correspondent i'm sorry that's, that's a tucker line but i do think it's funny don't expect cuomo over at cnn to understand the real implications of the first amendment here he is on how you know, protesting in church, totally, yo, bro, it's totally different. Play three. I want to go to church. I miss going to church. I understand there's a pandemic. You know who else does? My priest <laughs> understands it. Oh, but you can protest. One has nothing to do with the other. You are dealing with people who are responding in this country to outrageous acts of social injustice Mm -hmm. to say, well, it's the same as going to church. No, it isn't. You You told people they couldn't protest. If you invoked martial law about these types of situations, you would have chaos. Mm -hmm. And he knows it. So it's sad that he feels that he has to stoke this kind of animus in this country. Who's stoking the animus? What idiocy is this? And this guy's really what a fraud. First of all, the, the similarity, the reason people bring up Going to church and protest, because Chris Cuomo is a lawyer, he should know this, uh, is the First Amendment to the Constitution. Right? The First Amendment. Where does it say people have to be peaceful? He also asked rhetorically on national TV, and people said, in the Constitution. That's where it says. What's this whole peaceful assembly thing? Yeah. Read the, read the Constitution, you incredible ignoramus. But, and then this, Oh, the the just the 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 slick 
the smooth transition to a justification for, yeah, we can't have churches open, but people have got to protest because of the extreme injustice. The extreme injustice? What, what is that? That, that means the, so the, the virus doesn't affect you because of extreme injustice? These people have no standards. CNN anchors have no standards. They just say whatever they have to say for their audience of idiots who all think, oh, I went to college. I'm so smart. You know, oh, I work in I work in media relations at a tech company. I'm a genius. Oh, my gosh. I'm like a third tier lawyer at some left wing firm that might as well just be running a George Soros operation. Oh, I watch CNN. It's just it's mind blowing. The lack of intellectual rigor that is on the air over there all the time. But it's I mean, it's true. Don Lemon is a moron. Chris Cuomo is obviously not very bright. Uh, there's plenty of this. This is not this is not new. This is not surprising. But look, look, look at that. Oh, because of the injustice, people have to protest. There's a pandemic that we are told is killing people. And what we are seeing is acts of barbarism on the street that have no chance whatsoever of making this country better or more just or fair. Why doesn't CNN go and interview some of the people who have lost their businesses, who have, who have lost their jobs because where they used to work was looted? No, they don't care about any of that. That does not matter to them. And, and then you have other major celebrities out there who are advancing this narrative. Uh, advancing the narrative that we are in a, a deeply evil and racist society. Here is uh, LeBron James, who I, I believe his quote after, after the George Floyd shooting was that black people are uh, hunted every time they leave their houses. By police is the implication, which is just, again, this is lunacy. I mean, this is not based in any reality that you could measure or see or is around us, but... This is what is said. This is the narrative. And, and here he is, the one of the most famous and wealthy and influential people in the world who is a black American. Here he is uh, telling us that, uh, well, his thoughts on the Jacob Blake shooting. Play five. Quite frankly, it's just fucked up in our community. And as a, I know people get tired of hearing me say it, but we are scared as black people in America. Black men, black women, black kids, we are we are terrified because you don't know. You have no idea. You have no idea of how that cop that day left the house. You don't know if he walked on the good side of the bed. You don't know if he walked walk on, on the wrong side of the bed. You don't know if he had an argument at home with a significant other. You know, if one of his kids said something crazy to him and he left the house steaming. Maybe he just left the house in that today is going to be the end for one of these black people. That's what it feels like. Maybe he left the house, as LeBron James says, and figures it's just going to be the end for one of these black people. Just going to go out and commit a racist murder. The cop is going to go out and commit a racist murder, which also ruins the cop's life, right? We under and, and let's be clear. Even if the cop under these circumstances is entirely justified in a shooting, never mind the actual racist murder that LeBron James conjures out of thin air, just based upon whatever, um, the cop's life is probably still ruined. But he, he believes that. LeBron James believes that. Look, LeBron James is, is 
and, and a, a world-class athlete and is worth close to a billion dollars. Um, he's not a scholar and he's not an expert on, on law enforcement, that's for sure, or the Constitution or the law or, or really anything that does not involve athletics. Uh, but what he's saying is is really terrifying because people are going to hear this. A lot of impressionable people across America are going to hear this and think that it's think that it's true. And what he leaves out of the formulation that he comes up with is that the uh, the individual here, Jacob Blake, was resisting arrest. Right. Was made an affirmative decision that he's going to fight cops, going to physically get into it with cops. He's wanted for sexual assault, which is a felony, a serious crime, among other crimes that he's already committed. And he's not going to comply with law enforcement officers. And he thinks that he's allowed to just drive away. If someone is allowed to just drive away when cops have their guns drawn and say freeze, if that person goes, no, 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 I'm just going to get in my car and drive away now. We don't have rule of law. We don't have law enforcement. It's a joke. And where does that lead us? Well, we're already starting to see what that leads us to with this BLM movement, with the increase in homicides, the increase in crime, the increase in despair and in, in primarily minority uh, minority uh, neighborhoods. That's what you're seeing. It's, it's already happening. People are dying because of this false narrative that's out there. But LeBron James, who is LeBron James worried? Is, is that what he's telling me? Is he worried every time? He, Don Lemon went on air. Don Lemon, who has a, a, um, a multi-million dollar home in the Hamptons. I know that for a fact. Uh, has a multi-million dollar home here in Manhattan. I mean, this guy is probably worth 20 or 30 million bucks at this point, I'd guess. And he, he went on TV and basically cried and said in the, in the first era of the BLM movement that he was scared every time he leaves his home. Is that really that's a psychological condition? I mean, that's something that somebody should seek professional help to address because it's not based in reality. It would be like me, statistically speaking, walking out of my home and being terrified about being struck by lightning. Right. You could be. There is a case. Sir, people are. It's a horror. Someone gets struck by lightning. It's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing. But. It would not be reasonable. Um, it would not be reasonable to be worried about that every time you leave your home. Do you know how many people are killed by lightning strikes every year in America? About 50. About an average of close to 50 people a year, according to the uh, government weather, uh, weather advisory. So you get about 50 people. You get a few... More people in America. This is a fact. More, uh, more people in America are killed by lightning strikes every year, considerably more this year, than unarmed black men are killed by cops every year. Now, I know these are two wild, wildly different things, but that's how this is. This is less common than getting killed by lightning. That is the truth of the BLM narrative's whole, oh my gosh, we're terrified when we go outside our homes thing. You are more likely to be killed in this country by a lightning strike than you are to be an unarmed black man who is killed by law enforcement. And how many months now have we had tumult in this country? How many months have we seen this, just this continued uh, 
rioting and looting and destruction. I'm just giving you facts. Oh, I know the media doesn't like facts and they don't line up with what they want to believe. If you want to be terrified all the time about lightning strikes, that's up to you. But if you want to control my life or if you want to burn down my business because you're so worried about something that is less likely than a lightning strike killing a human being, um, we're going to have a talk about your about your rationality, your sanity, your sense of what is fair. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. This job is to heal, to heal. This country needs healing. I'll be a president who tells the truth, who takes responsibility, and who, in fact, invites the opposition to come to the Oval Office and settle problems together. And it's about time we start to hear from a president that it's about uniting the country. It is not going to fly that the Democrats get to have their paramilitary wing out in the street destroying things and threatening people, and then Biden gets to present himself as the great uniter. I'm sorry, I'm I'm not going to play along with this. All right, if he wanted to unite the country, he would say, hey, look, I don't care if you're angry. You don't get to burn down an innocent person's business. You don't get to burn down any person's business. And if you're doing that in the name of BLM or any movement, You are polluting that movement if you really think that it's good. I think the BLM movement is actually a disgrace, but nonetheless, here we are. And now you you see these videos of the mob going around and demanding obedience from strangers. You can see this on social media that they they will walk up to a couple having dinner or having lunch. And they're singling out white couples for this, of course. Which we're not supposed to believe there's any racial animus in this, right? But but people will will come up to you, uh, a mob will come up to you and say that you better raise your fist in support of Black Lives Matter. You better say Black Lives Matter. Say what we want. Show us your political obedience or we will menace you or we will ruin your evening or we will shout slurs and profanity at you in front of your girlfriend, your wife, in front of your husband, your boyfriend will disturb your meal. You're not allowed peace. They say no justice, no peace. What they mean is no power, no peace. Do as they say or else. You bend the knee or they will push you to your knees. That's what we keep seeing. That's what is happening in cities across the country. And this is not new. I remember in New York here, one of my favorite brunch places in the Murray Hill neighborhood, they had a a whole... In the first BLM movement era years ago, they had BLM activists run inside and just start shouting at everybody about how this was, you know, like white supremacy to be having brunch and you should be out wanting justice for Mike Brown. This is all this is all idiocy, folks. This is all absurdity. It doesn't make anything better. It doesn't help anyone. It's just emotional venting that actually obscures the real problems of society, actually does not handle. Cops are not a huge problem in society. Cops are what keeps our society together. Cops prevent this from turning into anarchy, prevent this from being the movie The Purge made real. There are real problems. Lack of intact families, lack of education, lack of opportunity, lack of just go go down the whole list. Those are real things that exist that we could all work toward together. But Biden as uniter, while people are screaming who are Biden voters are screaming at strangers that they can't have brunch unless they bend the knee. No. Not on my watch. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, he spoke last night at the RNC, one of the best speeches of the evening, I might say, as well as the fact that he's my buddy. So, of course, I'm a little bit biased, but he did do a great (laughs) job. He is a former Army Ranger, author of the fantastic book Outlaw Platoon and running for a congressional seat out in Pennsylvania. Mr. Sean Parnell joins us now. Sir, how you doing, buddy? I am. I'm great. How you doing, Buck? All right, man. Uh, so I always forget which what's the specific district you're running for out in PA? It's Pennsylvania's 17th congressional district. And so it's a district that had it existed in 2016, President Trump would have won the district. Uh, Senator Pat Toomey also won the district by a slightly larger margin. Uh, so the, the two very, I mean, look, Trump and Toomey, they could not be more different <laughs> in almost every way. But two very different Republicans have carried the district in the last four years. And Connor Lamb, well, he was swept into power in a special election just after 2016 uh, and won by a, a razor, razor thin margin of something like 400 votes. Um, and then he ran again against an incumbent and won by a, a larger margin. Uh, but here's the deal. Uh, the DCCC spent 10 plus million dollars on this guy. He was the only game in town as you know, if you remember that special election. Um, and, and he's not going to have that fire sport this time because the Democrats are on defense. They've got 30 seats to defend. Ultimately, ultimately they need to hold 17 and Connor is in the bot. I mean, he's like what? 27 out of 30 Democrats in house districts. He's like almost dead last in fundraising. And so He's vulnerable. He's weak. He's got an integrity problem in the the district. He's literally flip flopped on every single issue. I mean it, man. That's this is not me. Just this is not me throwing political jabs like he's flip flopped on every issue from pro-life. He said he was pro-life, said he was pro-gun, said he was going to support the president, said he was going to oppose Pelosi. All that is is untrue. And so um, he's got an integrity problem in the district. And and that's certainly part of our messaging. But um, He's gonna have he's gonna he's gonna have an issue in in November for sure. So, Sean, how was it last night speaking at the RNC? Man, that must have been pretty heady stuff. Look at you, Mister Big Time. I, I remember Sean Parnell was my drinking buddy, and hey, now whatever. here he is, you know, <laughs> getting ready to run the country. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know, man. I it was overwhelming. I mean, because I look, I, I my family like we I come from like a half Democrat, half Republican family. Uh, and, and we watched conventions growing up, man. It was sort of woven into the fabric of, of our family's DNA. And I mean, we sit around the dinner table, we argue and fight with one another. I mean, we hardly agree on anything. Um, and so to be on the stage now speaking at a convention, overwhelming is the best word that I, I can use to describe it. I mean, I mean it, man. I came home from the military and, and I was unexpected. I was medically retired, right? I didn't expect to get blown up in Afghanistan. I, I expected to go into the military and really make it a career, but that didn't happen. Uh, and I left the military really like broke and broken. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. Went back to grad school and started writing books. Had no idea that my first book would be anything. Uh, but um, to be on the stage 10 years after that, you know, uh, is really just overwhelming. And, and, and on the stage with just some amazing patriots. I mean, that first night of the, the convention, I felt, I don't know what the heck these, these Democrat pundits are talking about. There was no doom and gloom on that stage. While Democrats are focused wholly on America's past sins, 
uh, I feel like Republicans are focused on on a vision for the future. And I think that's going to resonate in November. Speaking of Sean Parnell, he was one of the speakers last night at the RNC. He's a uh, former Army Ranger, uh, combat veteran, author of Outlaw Platoon and uh, running for Pennsylvania's 17th. Right. I got it right this time. I'm always trying to make sure. Is that right? You got it. Right, 17th Congressional it right. District. Very, very important to get all this stuff. Because uh, we, we've got some great listeners uh, all all throughout the area, including out in Pennsylvania. So, uh, Sean, what what I, mean, I heard your speech last night, obviously, and a lot of your friends in the media were all saying, yeah, Par- Parnell kicking butt, doing a great job again. But I just I want to know <laughs> what you see as the, as the defining the defining two or three points between what the DNC was last week and what the RNC is this week. Well, like I, I mentioned previously, I think that the Republicans are focused on uh, a vision for the future and charting a path forward for this country. Uh, all the Democrats had was basically orange man bad for real. I mean, it was it was like and I, and I look, man, I tried to go into it with an open mind and open heart, listening to what they were saying to try to get a sense of where they were coming from. And, you know, I, I typically take melatonin to try to sleep at night. Didn't need it when I was watching the Democratic National Convention. You know, fell asleep, five minutes, fell asleep. You know, it was so boring. It was like a, a post-apocalyptic, a post-apocalyptic, can't even say the word, uh, like dystopian telethon. It really was just bizarre. I mean, the, the, the music videos and all this other stuff. And then you, you juxtapose that to what the Republicans are bringing to the fight. It's just the production value is just completely different just on on the merits. Uh, but, you know, I, I think Republicans, what we're really focused on now, I think, is being the Big Ten party, the party of ideas, uh, knowing and recognizing that it's that it's discourse, the free exchange of ideas that make this country truly exceptional. And right now, the, the left punishes you if you don't if you aren't in lockstep with their draconian orthodoxy. Right. That. The classical liberalism was about tolerance and the free exchange of ideas. That is not the modern day Democratic Party. Uh, that, so, and, and lastly, the point that I was trying to make in, in my speech last night, my uh, my grandfather, who's a lifelong Union Democrat, who's like almost a second father to me, he was a proud Democrat. But the, the Democrat Party of today is is not the party of the American working class, right? It's the party of hedge fund managers, Hollywood celebrities, academia. Right. And most of those uh, people within those organizations have some level of contempt for middle America and Republicans uh, were the big tent party that represents all those people. And so, you know, I firmly believe that this country really stands, you know, is precariously balanced uh, on a knife's edge right now. And I think that, you know, God forbid if, if Joe Biden wins and God forbid the Democrats get control of the House and the Senate, I don't think we get this country back. Pennsylvania is so, obviously yeah. a, a critical state, Sean. How do you how do you see things shaping up? I know it's everyone. Everyone's going to say this a million times between now and the election, but there's a you know a, a lot of time between now and when people are actually going to cast their ballots. We know that, but what are the dynamics right now that you see in Pennsylvania? Are 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 you are you confident that it's going to go for Trump? Is it a is it a fifty fifty coin toss as of today? I'd say it's split right down the middle. I don't believe the national polls for a second when they say that Biden is up by something like 15 points or something. That's absurd. Uh, Pennsylvania is split right down the middle right now, which I think ultimately is good for any incumbent, and especially for someone like President Trump, where 60, 60 plus percent of the people 
uh, are afraid to express some level of public support for the president, you know? Um, and, and, and look, this has played out on the ground for me, Buck. I, I'll go to doors and, you know, we, we're knocking 400 doors a day, man, every day from now to the election. And there, people will take my signs and say, oh, we'd love to take a sign for President Trump, but we're afraid of our house being vandalized. I mean, the, that, that phenomenon is real. Um, and so, you know, I think President Trump is going to win the state of Pennsylvania, though. I mean, and the reason for that is, Buck, People in this state are used to having the rug pulled out from under them. Under eight years of Barack Obama and Joe Biden, right, uh, this state lost 51,000 manufacturing jobs and oil and gas jobs. It was a real tough eight years. And so when Joe Biden is you know, campaigning with Connor Lamb, who's my opponent, and AOC and Bernie Sanders, and they're saying – and now Kamala Harris is talking about banning fracking on day one – People remember it was just it was just a few years ago when all those policies were were reality and people were out of work and, and life was a lot more difficult. And so um, what would banning fracking do in, in Pennsylvania that? specifically? Well, it's the centerpiece of our economy. Buck. I mean, especially in Western Pennsylvania, you know, 117,000 jobs, 117,000 depend on the oil and gas industry. And then there are ancillary jobs like that get a major boost from the oil and gas industry, like, you know, restaurants, real estate agents in Western Pennsylvania, it's going to be it's going to be absolutely devastating for our economy. And if you don't believe me, and this isn't me preaching doom and gloom, go read, go read the, the, the energy plan that Joe Biden put forth itself. It straight up says right in there that it has a plan to accommodate for, quote, unemployed energy workers. <laughs> like if your plan is not going to put energy workers out of work, then why is it accommodating for them uh, in the written words? So uh, Pennsylvanians, they, they remember what that was like under Obama and, and Joe Biden, they, and they don't want to go back there. And, and that's what I was saying earlier. There's been an interesting – like union Democrats that have long since towed the party line with the Democrat Party, they feel – I'm always hesitant. I don't want to speak for them, but I, I think the vast majority of them feel left behind by their party or some game of the Democrat Party. And you know, there's hardworking union Democrats uh, who built this country – you know, by and large, uh, with blood, sweat and tears, feel like their jobs and their life and livelihoods are threatened. And they should they should feel that way because the Democrats have disdain for them. And there were I mean, and Barack Obama said it himself. And in what 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 when he was president, they, they were um, clinging to guns and Bibles. Right. Those are the union Democrats that the Democrats speak. So uh, with, with such contempt for. Well, Sean, if you win, I don't know if I'm allowed to buy you a steak or if you'd have to, like, uh, you know, list that as some kind of a gift or something. But we're certainly rooting for know. you, my friend. We're rooting for you. Great, great job last night at the RNC. And uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch as you're getting getting close to Election Day here. Finish, finish strong, my friend. Finish strong. We will. Thank you, as always, for having me, Buck. Take care, my friend. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Growing up in the deep south, I've seen racism up close. I know what it is, and it isn't Donald Trump. Just because someone loves and respects the flag, our national anthem, and our country, doesn't mean they don't care about social justice. I care about all those things. So does Donald Trump. He shows how much he cares about social justice in the black community through his actions, and his actions speak louder than stickers or slogans on a jersey. He keeps right on fighting to improve the lives of black Americans and all Americans. He worked night and day. He never stops. He leaves nothing on the field. Some people don't like his style, 
the way he knocks down obstacles that get in the way of his goals. People on the opposing team didn't like when I ran over them either, but that's how you get the job done. Herschel Walker giving a very a very solid speech at the RNC, longtime friend of uh, of President Trump. And and this is something that I've I've returned to frequently over the last over the last four years. Is that there, there's nobody who knows Donald Trump well and has known him for a long time who thinks that this guy is a racist. I, I know there are people who call him racist constantly, and unfortunately it has been a very effective narrative. It's a very effective smear that the Democrats have been able to attach to Trump, but no one who really knows this guy thinks that he's a racist. Uh, you know, Trump is somebody who has always, he, he, he likes people, he likes different kinds of people. He want he he appreciates strength and skill and uh, and excellence and beauty. And you know these are just he's a guy who doesn't take this approach that the liberals that the liberals are so obsessed with of thinking about people first based upon their skin color. He doesn't care. The people that know this president and I know people who have known him since I was a child, known him personally. Uh, they'll tell you that there's just. This is all a fabrication. This narrative that Donald Trump is such a racist is just uh, the Democrats. Look, the Democrats said that they said that every Republican is a racist, right? I mean, you know, Mitt, and Mitt Romney was a sexist. Mitt Romney is like the, the most innocuous Republican politician you could find. And Joe Biden still recently was referring to the binders full of women comment as if that's some kind of a hilarious put down, a, a total smear, a total misrepresentation of what was uh, what was intended um, by what was intended by Mitt Romney at the time. Not that I'm some Mitt Romney fan. As we know, Mitt Romney is all about supporting Black Lives Matter now and whatever gets a nice editorial written about him in, in The Bulwark or a nice tweet from The Lincoln Project. Whatever. Uh, so that's all. That's all a part of this that I think we need to we need to remember. Oh, uh, Kim Klasik, who is now shot to national prominence after her video about Baltimore went went mega viral. She also spoke last night. Here she is, play 17. The Democrats have controlled this part of Baltimore City for over 50 years, and they have run this beautiful place right into the ground. Abandoned buildings, liquor stores in every corner, drug addicts, guns on the street. That's now the norm in many neighborhoods. You'd think Maryland taxpayers would be getting a whole lot since our taxes are out of control. Instead, we're paying for decades of incompetence and corruption. Sadly, the same cycle of decay exists in many of America's Democrat-run cities. And yet the Democrats still assume that black people will vote for them, no matter how much they let us down and take us for granted. We're sick of it. We're not going to take it anymore. The days of blindly supporting the Democrats are coming to an end. In Baltimore, we have the highest number of black Republicans in the entire country running for office this election cycle. Joe Biden believes we can't think for ourselves, that the color of someone's skin dictates their political views. We're not buying the lies anymore. You and your party have neglected us for far too long. All it would take is instead of about 10 percent of black voters uh, voting for President Trump, if, if that number could go up to 20 or 25 percent, not only would Trump win, but this would send shockwaves through the whole Democrat narrative. One of their favorite points, one of the Democrat Party, the Democrat establishments, uh, favorite lines, you know, talking points is that there's almost, you know, there's there's near universal support within the black community for the Democrat Party. It's 90 plus percent. I mean, that's uh, that's a 
a more reliable, large voting constituency than any other demographic group has anywhere in the country for it, for either political party. Uh, the, the, the African-American community, black Americans are a more reliable Democrat voting block than any other voting block that you can look at. That's a comparable demographic of size uh, anywhere else in the country. All you need is 20 percent of that vote to go Republican. And the Democrat Party is in shambles all of a sudden. The Democrat Party can't win a national election. The Democrat, you know, it, it would just and it would also show that finally what Kim Kleisik here is talking about, the grip that the Democrats have had on the black community for all of this time without, you know, it was the Democrat Party that was the party of slavery. The Democrat Party that was a party of the Ku Klux Klan and of Jim Crow and of segregation. And then finally, Republicans help the uh, with the civil rights movement and and take actions necessary to allow for you know i'm now condensing a lot of history into a 15 seconds here but the civil rights movement with with brave black americans like dr king leading it and the republicans take action and eisenhower sends troops to the schools and all, all these things that happen uh all these actions that are taken and then the Democrats switch, you know, and then under Johnson, the Great Society programs, all of a sudden Democrats are, oh, no, we're all about the black community. And there's no historical accountability for the Democrat Party in all of this somehow. It's it's really, the, you know, the greatest trick the Democrats ever pulled was convincing black America uh, that it, that the Democrats were not the party holding black America down for as long as they as they were. And now are the huge advocates for black America. It's. It's the reason Democrats can win national elections right now. And if we could just break that grip and convince more of our fellow Americans who are, who are African-American to, to vote Republican, it would be it would be a game changer. But I'm not holding my breath. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. Just one one uh, mulligan today, one extra swing here off the tee. CNN had a Chiron earlier today that said that read violent protests and it was up for 15 seconds referring to what's going on in Wisconsin and then they changed it, and everyone's just having a field day with it. Because, God forbid, CNN actually describe what's really happening in Wisconsin, right? God forbid CNN tells people the truth. That's very off-brand for them about this. They're going to have to tell everybody that the protests are something else. They're mostly, mostly peaceful, right? When we know that... Uh, Yep, they changed. It's amazing you watch it. 8 p.m. curfew ordered after protest. It went from violent protest to protest in 15 seconds. Because I'm sure Zucker was sitting in his little office, the uh, reclusive dwarf king of CNN. Another great Tucker line. I got to stop. Well, I, I cite. I cite when I borrow a line. But I like that one about Jeff Zucker. Um, he must. Zucker must have seen this one and, and sent a, a directive. Take that truth off the air. What do you think we're doing here? This is CNN. Uh, there you have it. Um, 
Producer Mark, how are you doing, buddy? We haven't checked in with you today. Everything all right? Uh, everything's good, Buck. Nice. You uh, you ready for things to get uh, more to sweatshirt weather? I like sweatshirt weather, especially all the with all the extra LBs I've been packing on during quarantine. What's you know? this uh, weather thing you're talking about? It's going to start getting cooler soon. Here. Oh, I don't go outside. Oh, yeah, yeah no. no, there's no no sunshine allowed. We're just we're just in a constant. We're like characters in the Matrix now. Remember that when they have the people who are in those pink slime pods that are used as human batteries we're like that except for conservative media content we're just in these pink slime pods churning out content all day it's exciting yeah i basically live at my desk great yeah that makes makes two of us makes two of us so uh yeah and then i just they i'm they, they churn the content or rather they got the the uh the pipes coming out of us with all the content, and then maybe they've just got a little bit of, like, mac and cheese on an IV going in my arm. That's all I need. It actually doesn't sound bad, mac and cheese and some yeah, nutrients. No, it's, it's a fair trade-off. They turn hmm. us into human content batteries, and we get uh, a steady stream. Yeah, of I'm allowed to watch one hockey game a day. I'm good with it. Yeah. Look, it could be worse. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. You want to email us. And with that, oh, and don't forget also on Instagram, if you're not following me, please do Buck Sexton on Instagram just to make things more fun. I do political stuff there, but also I'll put up, uh, you know, photos of Tallulah. So if you want that fun content, you got to go with you got to go with uh, that. You know, you got to follow me, Buck Sexton on Instagram. A lot of you are on Instagram. You should all, if you're listening to the show on your Instagram, you're not following me right now. It makes, it makes me sad on the inside. So please give a follow there. And now we can get to your, your thoughts courtesy of um, Roll Call, which comes into us through, through a variety of means. And then producer Mark has the great honor of sifting through your Roll Call thoughts. TJ, Buck, would it be too far to extend an invitation to Tulsi to speak at the RNC convention? Since was the only Democrat nominee that got a delegate but no speaking slot at the DNC convention. Well, TJ, as you know, I, I um, am more favorably disposed toward Tulsi than, other, than the other Democrat candidates. I mean, Tulsi and Yang, I find the least, the least odious as people of all the Democrat candidates who are running. And, uh, and you know, Yang, I even find to be, uh, you know, a, a reasonable enough fellow. I think he's wrong on stuff, but I think he's wrong without being a jerk about it, necessarily. Uh, and Tulsi served her country. And I think Tulsi's a patriot, and which is it's such a slander against her that she's like Assad's puppet. I always thought that was so unfair. Um, but no, you can't have Tulsi speak at the RNC because she 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 goes after Trump just as hard as pretty much any other Democrat. I mean, she thinks Trump is awful. So we got to we got to keep it real here. We got to be very clear. It's not like Tulsi Gabbard is saying, well, you know, Trump has his mom. No, no, no. He thinks he's pretty awful. Wayne. Hey, Buck. Will Trump and Biden ever debate? I think the DNC is scared to put Biden up against Trump. Of course, unless they leak the debate questions to Biden like they did to crazy Hillary. Thanks for all you do, Buck. I'm an avid listener and love what you do. Shields high, brother. Uh, Wayne, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. It's an honor. And as for the uh, the Trump-Biden debate, I think it's going to happen. You're going to get one debate. You're going to get one debate. Um, Biden, you know, whatever special vitamin mix they have to give him that day so that he can stay awake and doesn't 
you know, wander out on stage uh, drooling a little bit and, you know, mutter, muttering about how he wants to watch MASH reruns. You know, whatever they have to do, they'll do. And Biden will go out there and he'll be practicing the talking. Look, the guy's been a politician forever. I mean, he knows he knows how to just do the do the boilerplate. You know, oh, I'm going to make America better because I'm going to be, you know, the working person. And I'm going to do, you know, you're going to hear the usual Biden crap you've been hearing forever. So I, I think there will be one debate, um, especially because things have, have narrowed a little bit now. And it's very it, it's it has become a, a liability for Democrats that it is so clear that part of their plan for Biden is to prevent him from being exposed to public scrutiny. That is not what you would call confidence inspiring in the general public. When you have a presidential candidate that you very clearly are trying to uh, shield from public scrutiny, there are some people, not all, but there are some people who are going to see that and realize that it's kind of a bad thing. So uh, there you go. Uh, Greg, next up here. Hey, Buck, wanted to bring up the fact that at the Democratic convention, they were talking about how well the Obama administration handled the Ebola outbreak. Truth is that it's not an airborne virus like COVID is, and most people become extremely sick and die before they're able to spread it. So it's somewhat easy to contain. I thought it was rather silly and quite dishonest to compare the two. Also, I have a feeling that COVID case numbers and death numbers are extremely inflated. Just some thoughts I had. Shields high. Uh, Greg, yeah, there's going to be a lot of fighting over the COVID numbers in months to come because there, there are incentives for people to code in hospitals. A death is a COVID death because of federal funding that, that kicks in. There's a lot. We're going to be unraveling that for a very long time. I think the NFL also, producer Mark, did you see this? The NFL, like 70 of their positive results were actually false positives. Did you see this? Yeah, that's correct. They had a bunch of false positives. A bunch of teams had to kind of scramble, but then they realized it was a false positive, so they continued practice. So if the NFL, which I am going to assume has pretty high-level concierge medicine access, if, if you have over 70 NFL players with false positives for COVID, and we're running, I mean, I, who can even keep up? We're running all these tests, all this testing. How much of the uh, general population do you think has gotten a false positive to? You know, how, I mean, by the way, I, I've, I've been in week two of quarantine. Now, the whole quarantine thing is completely, I'm, I'm not sick. The whole quarantine thing is absurd. And I'm sure that I've tried to be, you know, look, I'm just trying to do my, my part. And I, you know, I don't want to be in a position where I go, oh, it turns out I was sick. And I was hanging out in huge crowds. and all. I mean, but the whole thing is just absurd. I mean, the, the whole thing is just unworkable, unenforceable. Oh, and that's why I didn't mention it today. I'll get into it more um, when I talk about this tomorrow. But the Wall Street Journal has a piece on how lockdowns, now they're really analyzing it. Oh, what a shock. It turns out that lockdowns are costly and blunt. That's what they're saying. Costly and blunt. And might not even really have the health benefits, the life-saving benefits that we're told that they do. That And remember... I've been trying to look at this logic all along and explain this to people, but I know it gets frustrating to just hear the same things over and over. But this is it's locking us down until numbers go down and then unlocking us before there's a vaccine. All this means is you're 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 creating all this economic contraction and economic dislocation. 
but you're not saving people from being exposed to the virus. You're just extending out the duration of viral exposure in society. So you're locking down the economy for a while. You know, it's like the it's like an accordion. Lock it down. Oh, open up. Oh, there's more cases. Lock it down. Oh, open up. There's more cases. That's not a plan. That doesn't do anything. Sweden never locked down and Sweden is through it. As I was saying from the beginning, is that that makes sense as a strategy. Protect the elderly, make sure hospitals have capacity, and then from there, avoid super spreader events and see where you are in six months. That's a strategy. In New York, what we're doing, which is just lockdown forever, basically, lockdown until, you know, now they've had a, a reinfection of a COVID-19 case, and it looks like a real reinfection. This one actually means that people don't have immunity forever. Maybe your immunity only lasts for six months. The virus can mutate a bit, which means that even if we have an effective vaccine, there may be uh, mutating strains of COVID-19 that still infect people. Perhaps, hopefully, they're much less lethal, and so it won't be as big of a deal. But what are we doing? We're going to keep locking, keep locking down society, locking down society. It's crazy. It's crazy. It has been crazy all along. It's a bad idea pushed by people who are panicked, fearful, and and a lot of people, not all the panicked and fearful, I understand. It's a scary thing. It was in the early days. Look, the first 60 days in New York, some of you are like, Buck, you sound so like bummed out about this. I'm like, yeah, because they're telling us that we're basically all going to die in New York. I mean, the, 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 the fear factor in New York City was off the charts for a while. Uh, but as soon as I recognized that I was way overblown in New York because I saw what the numbers were, saw what was happening, I said, hold on a second. This is we're not we, we don't need to do this. In fact, I remember I was saying that we should open up for uh, for Easter Sunday. And I thought it was a huge mistake. The Trump administration gave into the pressure on that. But uh, the lockdowns were a disa- a disastrous and wrong policy, disastrous and wrong. I think we should all be quite clear on that. Um, oh, uh, Greg brought up the uh, the. Ebola situation and comparing Ebola to COVID. I mean, that's just that's idiocy. This reminds me when people say contract tracing works for sexually transmitted diseases. Right. Because sitting down with somebody and saying, who did you have sex with for a disease that can only be spread by having sex with somebody or sharing a needle with somebody, for example, that's a small pool, you would think. That's a small pool of people, and that's a pretty clear thing. Who have you been around breathing the same air with over the last week or two? No idea. No idea. You can't contact trace that. Idiocy. It's idiocy, and it has been all along. Ebola is spread through fluids. Now, if you sit within five feet of somebody on a subway, you might breathe in their viral particles in the air. But I think you can be pretty sure that you're not, you know, getting their blood in your eye if they happen to have Ebola, which, thank God, that did not spread across the country the way that some people thought it would. But a much easier virus to contain, even though a a truly horrific virus, uh, if you if you are to get it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, more roll call. Roger, next up, he writes, Buck, your oversimplification and slander of North Carolina barbecue is blasphemous. Look, Roger, I knew I was going to touch a nerve with some of my my wonderful team, Buck, in North Carolina. And and look, man, maybe I just need to try it at a different place. 
But I went to that King's Barbecue place, and that was just not even... I, I Look, I can make better barbecue myself at home in New York City in my tiny apartment. That's just the truth. It was not good enough. And when they brought me over a sauce, and it was a little... Uh, you know, look, you know, in producer Mark, when they bring you like a little side of mayo or something, it'll be in a little plastic yeah. thing. They brought me, you know, a little tiny open cup kind of thing. They brought me a little thing like that with some, uh, like a thimble almost of vinegar, you know, a thimble of vinegar and said, pour that on your, and I just was like, this is not, I don't no. know. look, so Roger, right. didn't tell me where can I get real classic world-class North Carolina barbecue? Because what I, what I had at this King's place, it was really the only disappointment of my time in North Carolina. Because I was told King's barbecue is going to be really good, and it was not. A lot of, lot of fried crap on the menu. I'm just going to say it. A lot of just, you know, fried this, fried. It was like fried bread with fried stuff on it. And then, bar, you know, wh- wh- where are my sides? Where's my, where are my different kinds of meat? Where, I don't know. I was not. I didn't like it. I'm just going to tell you the truth. You know, tex- Texas barbecue... Tennessee barbecue, it's like a reason to move there. We'll see. You tell me what North Carolina's got. Oh, we got more of this. Angela, we have served North Carolina barbecue to the Doobie Brothers. My daughter got a picture with them and other groups. Anyhow, North Carolina barbecue sauce is not just vinegar. Brown sugar and different spices are added. Depends on the chef. My favorite is South Carolina barbecue sauce. Just saying. Wait, are we now... Producer Mark, is there a difference between North and South Carolina barbecue? I, I guess so, based on that one write-in. I've I, never heard of it. I was unaware of that. I'm sure there's a little rivalry between the states. Oh, oh of course. Of course. Um, next up here, Alan. The sous vide is a great start for a reverse sear or a hot grill sear. I've been grilling and smoking meats for years, and when my wife tried it, I was very skeptical. She finished it in the broiler in one of my prized cast iron skillets, and it turned out wonderful. It's a great method when the sides require attention or guests not arriving all at the same time. Shields high. No, Alan, look, people tell me they love sous vide. I just, I'm not ready to make that jump yet. I'm, I'm still, I'm happy with my reverse sear. Um, and I, I'm, I don't know. I just putting my steak in like boiling water or something. I, I don't, I can't, I can't get excited. I can't get excited about it, but you're probably right, Alan, because initially I thought reverse sear. I'm just going to grill it better on that. Nope. My, I, I will. If you give me 10 steaks and tell me you want the medium rare and you let me reverse sear them, I will outdo unless someone's a professional chef and really knows what they're doing. And then they, they do it on a stovetop. They're going to probably have five really if they're a good cook, five perfectly cooked steaks and five that are off either too dry, you know, too cooked or not cooked enough. And I'm going to go 10 for 10. Kim. Hey, Buck, the only reason I listen to you every day is I can't stand the mask, and you're the only person I know who will say it's stupid. <laughs> I love how you bring it up on almost every podcast. Thanks. Um, or not the only reason, she said. The reason. Well, that's good. Thank you, Kim. Glad you're on my team on that one. Everybody, please uh, share the buck. Pass the buck. Tell somebody to download this podcast. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeart app. Shields high.